We are going to be finishing our look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been in this since January. This will actually be six months that we have spent this year in the book of Ephesians. And truly, we have just simply scratched the surface on a lot of what the book of Ephesians has to say. And that I hope that that uh, has given you an idea, kind of uh, maybe whetted your appetite just a little bit on how deeply you can dive and you can dig into the Word of God that we have spent six months on a New Testament letter that has six chapters, and we have just barely scratched the surface. This will be week number 27 that we're spending in the book of Ephesians, and we've really not gone too far into depth. But before we get into our passage today, because we're going to, like I said, finish this up, I kind of want to recap a little bit what we've done, because we're going to be talking about all prayer today. It is going to be the, the portion of the armor of God that we look at. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into this, but how many of you, like myself, have been guilty uh, in times past, maybe, of when you're studying, when you're reading the book of Ephesians, and particularly the armor of God section, and you see where he you know, kind of finishes it up with that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you're like, okay, that, that, that completes the armor of God. I've, I've done that. I've kind of closed the bookmark in my mind as to that ends the armor. But Paul doesn't stop there. I said to you last week that the sword of the Spirit was the last material weapon that Paul gives us an example of. This week, we're going to look at another weapon of spiritual warfare in the armor of God, and Paul describes that as all prayer. But before we dive into that, I kind of want to recap where we've been in each chapter of the book of Ephesians, because as some of the theologians and, and some of the educators would say that Ephesians is unique in its writing because Paul begins this book on a mountaintop. He kind of, he, or he starts the book kind of on a mountaintop. He begins it kind of flying high, but he ends it on his knees. He begins with praise, and he ends with prayer. So if we look at the first chapter of Ephesians, if we're going to look at the highlight of it, we're going to look at to the praise of his glory was kind of the theme of it. Um, if we have that slide up there. Well, see, I got ahead of myself. Just skip that and we'll go back to that, Lexi. So, one, one more. There we go. Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So here Paul, in verse 3 of chapter 1, starts out at this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us the theme of that we are dead in sin, but we are alive in Christ. And verse 4 and 5 tell us this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's such a beautiful passage that he uses there, that it is not us, nothing that we can do, nothing that we're capable of, but it's all about His grace and His power 
and being made alive in Christ. Ephesians 3 talks about the mystery of the gospel. And in verse 6, Paul explains this here, where he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul is making this statement here that the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it's for everyone. That it's not just for a select group. A certain ethnicity, a certain race, have a certain background, have a certain upbringing in a certain religious system. Paul says that it's not only for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile. And my friends, you and I are Gentiles. Because the word Gentile basically means anyone who's not Jewish. So Christ not only died and has this good news, this gospel, for the Jewish believers in Christ, but also for those of us who don't have the Jewish background. And verses or chapters 1 through 3 is more of a doctrinal. It's more of a theological. Paul is laying down these foundational truths. And then he begins to move into chapter 4, which is the work of the saints. And we see in chapter 4 that this begins a playing out of how it's supposed to be handled and what it's supposed to look like in our lives. Verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And I know I, when we went through this in chapter 4, I know I spoke on this, but I, I want to take just another moment to highlight this. We will often recognize this as the fivefold ministry. But I believe that there are six, because I believe that there are very implicit instructions for not only the people who are called into these five, which is apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, but then to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This verse hits each and every one of us in this room. Whether you're standing up here this morning, whether you teach a class, whether you're a minister in some kind of labeled capacity, or unlabeled, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have work to do for Him. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 5. Walk in Him. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how are we supposed to love others? How are we supposed to love a world? How are we supposed to love people that we disagree with? How are we supposed to love people that it really kind of bothers us to even look at them in the eyes? Or the ones that seemingly find their way to the top of our social media feeds, no matter how many times we snooze them for 30 days. How do we love them? Simply. Love them as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. We're not called to love others out of our capacity to love. We're called to love others out of his capacity to love. And that goes far beyond what we're capable of. And in Ephesians chapter 6, we see this theme of spiritual warfare and the armor of God. So the beginning of chapter 6 starts talking a little bit about this practical playing out in the family dynamic, in a workplace dynamic, and then Paul shifts and takes two-thirds of this chapter 
to talk about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. In verse 11, uh, verses 11 through 13 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now that's supposed to bring me to our passage for today, which I put in the wrong order here. So Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 18 through 20, and it's miraculous. Go, oh, there it is. Look. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now we're going to take a few moments this morning, and we're not going to be able to dedicate nearly the amount of time that would do this justice. So I'm just going to tell you that up front. Please go study this on your own. But Paul begins this letter to the church at Ephesus with praise, with thanksgiving, acknowledging the heavenly places and the blessings that we have there in Christ. And he ends it here in this practical application with a call to prayer, with a call to get on your knees in front of the Father and cry out to Him. Now Paul didn't necessarily have to qualify himself in this area of prayer. And, and let me just, just take a really quick poll here this morning. How many of you in here this morning find it easy to spend a lot of time in prayer? Okay. How many of you in here find it easy to spend a lot of time reading your Word, reading the Bible? How many in here find it easy to share the Gospel with everyone that you can? How many in here find it easy to live the way that Christ commands us to live? How many of you in here this morning find it easy to love others the way that Christ calls us to love others? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. This Christian life is one of the easiest things to get into because you just simply have to respond to God's salvation and His grace, which requires nothing of us but repentance and stepping into Him. Now, the living that out, getting into it may be one of the easiest things you'll ever do, but living it out, my friends, is not easy. And I think some of us, probably thought that when we gave our heart to Jesus, when we surrendered ourselves to Him, that it was going to make everything easy. And we quickly found out that it was anything but easy. Amen? Like, man, do you remember that first little surge you had there right after you got saved? And then maybe you were hit with a wall of, of trial, or the enemy came against you, and you found out that, man, this, 
this, this is going to be difficult. This isn't necessarily easy. And that's why I believe that Paul closes this book and makes such a big deal out of this thing we call prayer. Now, we've not made a huge deal out of it. We have recognized it throughout this study of the armor of God that Paul uses just some pretty direct statements at times. There was a couple of them that he kind of gave a little bit of an explanation to, but mainly it was the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith. I mean, they're really just, boom, helmet of salvation. But here, Paul really goes into a descriptive uh, writing style in the way that he's talking about prayer. And there's prayers that we see that he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1. In chapter 3, he's making this, and all throughout Paul's writings, he's making this, this claim as he begins to start praying. It's like, I remember you, or I give thanks always as I remember you in my prayers. So we know that prayer is a very valuable, very crucial element of Paul's relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want us to quickly look at the four alls in here. There are four alls in this passage of Scripture. In verse 18, we see the first time, praying at all times in the Spirit. So that's a frequency. So there's a frequency here of praying all times in the Spirit. Now, before I break down, uh, kind of start teaching about the frequency of this, I do I want to take just a moment, make a statement or two, and clear this up. When Paul says here, pray at all times or pray always in the Spirit, this is not referencing back to Corinthians 12 where Paul's talking about spiritual gifts and one of those being tongues. Okay? There is no connection whatsoever, and I'm not downplaying a spiritual gift. I'm not arguing against Corinthians 12 where he's talking about spiritual gifts. I'm just saying there is no connection here between praying in tongues, the spiritual gift, and praying in the Spirit. So I believe that it's best explained this way. Instead of a method of prayer, Paul is talking about a stature of prayer. He's talking about a habit of prayer. Instead of having an occasion that this is what you should be doing in these moments, this is something that you should always be doing by the source that's living in you. It's not necessarily what's coming out of your mouth, but it's about what's going on inside of you in your connection with God's Holy Spirit that leads you. Now, the Greek word, pos, for all, means all. That's what it means, all. So pray at all times. Now, is it practically possible for us to verbally pray at all times is it possible for us to verbally pray at all times see it answered no but it's a stature it's a positioning it's a placement of our heart. 
Now, it's according to who you may be in a vehicle with. You may pray more often then. I saw some finger pointing on that. <laughs> wives sitting over going. And especially if you've got a new driver, parents with new drivers, you ever played that role before? But this is, this is an awareness of the Holy Spirit being in your life. And we talked about last week, and we've looked in the book of, of Philippians chapter 4 where it talks about giving thanks in all circumstances. This is the same situation. This is praying at all times in the Spirit. So our frequency should be this realization that hey, I, I can't be 100% in my prayer closet all of the time. But I can be in a spirit of prayer, of this awareness of the Holy Spirit residing in me, being in my life. And I heard someone say one time, maybe the best example um, that I've heard of it is that the Holy Spirit in Scripture is described as a dove. Have you ever tried to get really close to a dove? You're all looking at me like, this is the guy. This is the guy we said yes to pastoring us. He's talking about birds now. The dove is one of the most skittish, one of the most nervous birds that there is. Think about living your life this way. That if the Holy Spirit were to ascend and land upon you and sit on your shoulder, how carefully would you have to move through your life as to not cause the dove to fly away? If I had this representation of the Holy Spirit on my shoulder, the dove, then as I take these steps, I'm not going to carelessly take these steps just haphazardly. If I want to keep the dove on my shoulder... If I don't want to offend the dove, if I don't want to startle it, I have to make this move, every move with this dove in mind. And it's the same thing with our relationship to the Holy Spirit. Every conversation we have, we should have in mind of the Holy Spirit living within us. Every action that we take should be, how is this, how is the Holy Spirit receiving this? You ever worried about that scripture of like offending or grieving the Holy Spirit? There it is. That means that we need to walk, we need to talk, we need to, um, we need to post on social media with the Holy Spirit in mind. Pray at all times. So the frequency is one of the alls. The next all, we find in, in verse 18 also, is a variety with all prayer and supplication. So with all prayer and supplication. How many of you remember the ACTS method of praying from Sunday school? A-C-T-S? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? The adoration? The confession? What was the T? Thanksgiving, what was the S? Supplication, right. We see Jesus modeling this in this adoration. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
this confession, this after we adore Him, after we praise Him, that type of prayer, then we confess because, you know what? We are not worthy to be in the presence of a holy God. Amen? We're not worthy. And in Thanksgiving, we give, we give thanks for His blessings. We're thankful in all times for all circumstances, for everything that we have, everything that we're going through, regardless whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. God, I'm thankful because even in the worst of moments, you are far better to me than what I ever deserve. And your blessings are evident in my life. And then supplication. What is it to supplicate? Let me ask you this. In a like percentage ratio in your prayers and God answering your prayers, which happens more often? God answering you the first time you pray for something or about the umpteenth thousandth time that you pray for something? Option B, right? It's almost like Jesus taught something about ask, seek, and knock. And there's this continuing thing, and he gives an example of a pester uh, notice I said pester because that's what a lot of you call your pastor. But they, this pester that's knocking on his neighbor's door beyond bedtime, you know, which is like, I look at my phone now, I'm like, who's calling me at 9.15 at night? <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm asleep. Why? And he just keeps, he's like, listen, I've got company and I've got family and I don't have enough food. I need to borrow some food. This concept of supplication is ask and keep on asking. Knock, keep on knocking. Seek, keep on seeking. And one of the best illustrations of this that I found was um, we, we have large casters on our grand piano, and it's not that difficult to move as one person. But have you ever tried to move one of those things with the little wheels that you get that come with them? And it's like that big around? They said prayer is moving something the first time. But like in this case, if the wheels were different, it wouldn't be easy to move that piano. You would have to put a shoulder into it and really put some effort behind it. That's what supplication is. So pray with supplication. The third all that we see is to keep that end, uh, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance and all manner in all things. We're praying for all things. We're praying with perseverance that we're setting our face towards Christ and we're looking towards Him and we're asking for His will to be done and revealed and made evident here on this earth. And then lastly, it's to whom? Supplication for all the saints. How many of you daily pray for the worldwide church? How many of you pray for believers in foreign countries? How many of you pray for the underground church in mainland China, which is amazing, by the way, if you're not aware of that? How many of you are praying for those that are being persecuted? How many of you are praying for those in different churches in our nation? How many of you are praying for those that are in different churches in our own community? Because it's kind of easy to pray for our own church family, which none of us do enough of, me included. But whenever we start to broaden this scope, then it becomes a little bit more convicting, doesn't it? 
pray for all the saints. And now I want to take just a few minutes as I kind of wind this down. I want us to look at something that I find really, really amazing out of this passage. Paul's final request, his final ask out of this, which we see in verse 19. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's asking for prayer for himself here. And look at what he's asking for. He's asking for boldness to proclaim the gospel even more than what he already has. Paul could have very easily hung his hat on his accomplishments, on his status, on his position in the early church as being like the great apostle. He could have very easily let his pride and his ego take control of him and wanted to elevate himself. But his prayer request, while he is in chains, I might add, while he is in a state of imprisonment writing this letter, his prayer is not that I may be set free or that the Lord may release me from this captivity, that the Lord would free me from this bondage. I mean, we wouldn't blame him for asking for prayer for that, would we? I wouldn't. But the thing that he asked for is that I may share your gospel more boldly than I have ever declared it and shared it in my life. I love the fact that Brooke read from Acts chapter 4 a little bit earlier. She that was leading right into the story. Verse 13 starts into the story of Peter and John and them getting in trouble for sharing the gospel. And it says that the religious leaders viewed them as uneducated men but couldn't find fault with exactly what they were doing other than the fact that they didn't like it. So they gave them a warning. Don't talk about this Jesus anymore. Don't share this good news of the gospel of the Christ, the Messiah. Don't share this anymore or else there's going to be consequences. So they threatened them for sharing the gospel. After Peter and John are done with that situation, chapter 4 records that they go back into the church setting with the other believers and they say, we've got a prayer request. Let us pray. God, we're going to cry out to you that we share your word, share your gospel, share this mystery, share our testimony more boldly than we've ever proclaimed it before. The very thing that they were threatened with being in trouble for was what they were praying that God would give them more boldness to share god give us more boldness and maybe for some of us god give us boldness period because we've never shared your gospel i love the fact that thing that man i just got in trouble for it i want more of it god make me more bold to share that and the reason they needed more boldness it's because the stakes had just been, been raised. The consequences were becoming greater. And they knew that they would very easily be given into fear and to doubt if they did not have the boldness of His Spirit operating in their lives. So this morning, 
my challenge to you, how I ask you to apply this to your life. And I'm going to tell you to be ready and don't enter into this lightly. In your prayer time through this week, pray for boldness to share the gospel. Church, if we're not praying, then we're not doing God's will. Amen? If we're not praying, we're not doing God's will. Guess what? If we're not sharing the gospel, we're not doing God's will either. The book of James says that if you know what you should do, but you don't do it, you're guilty of what? Sin. It's a sin not to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you this week in your prayer time. God, give me more boldness than I've ever had before to share your gospel. I want to ask our praise team to come back up if they would. So let me share this this morning with you as they're coming. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, you've never given your heart to him, you've never responded to that call on your life, there was a man who loved you so much that he came over 2,000 years ago from heaven, from perfection, from eternity, humbled himself, came into this world in a season that we are taking to celebrate and recognize his coming, into a lowly manger as a lowly, powerless, humble child, lived a perfect life, was accused of everything that we are guilty of, and found guilty even though he was innocent, and never reviled them. Never, never stood up for himself because he came for you and he came for me. He came and he died a horrible, horrific, painful, agonizing death for you and for me so that we could be here today with hopes of being in him, having our sins forgiven, our trespasses, our iniquities, our transgressions all wiped clean through the blood that he shed on that cross. And he rose from the dead on that third day. Forty days later, he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. That is the good news of the gospel, that no matter how bad you think you are, or that you have been, or that you may be, there is nothing that his blood will not cover. Amen? Amen. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask a couple of our elders to come forward during this time of invitation. If that's you, I urge you to respond to that, on, that calling that's on your heart. Come forward, give your heart to Jesus in repentance and in faith, and make the best decision of your life as we stand and as we sing this morning. Thank you.